that makes me know that we, we, we were doing, we had the right idea in the beginning, and, and we just need to maintain our focus and elevate. We, what we do, we update our formulas. We have certain formulas, but we update oh, right. them with the times and everything, you know? And, and, and so, you know, the rhyme style is elevated, the style of beats is elevated, but it's still Guru Premier. And there's always a message involved. The real, hip hop, MCM, and DJing from your own mind, you know? I guess right now we should start the show. Who's this suspicious character strapped with the sound profound? Similar to round spit by Derringers. You're in the Teradome like my man. Welcome back. Welcome back in to the Deep Cover Podcast post draft edition. I'm back with Chris and Carrie. As usual, you know we can't afford to not record, so here we are. A um, lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Obviously, the draft is something that all three of us uh, are really into. Uh, it's in the rearview mirror now. No more speculation about you know who they're going to take, and, and 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 we know we know who the guys are uh, in, in the draft class. We've even got a pretty extensive list of reported UDFA signings. So we're going to talk about all of that, but as usual, let me start with just checking in. I'll start with you, Carrie, first, man. How you, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Um, kind of glad that the, um, you know, we have a face to the name of, uh, you know, this draft class. Uh, just want to shout out everybody that did like amazing work during this draft um, season. Um, I would say ourselves included. I think we had a good run during the draft and now just trying to, you know, keep that momentum going and, um, you know, see what we can put together for the folks uh, for post-draft. Absolutely. Hey, you and and Eric DaCosta sharing a brain <laughs> on Devin Duvernay. You picked him in mock. Uh, DaCosta picked him. So, you know, hey, that 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 says a lot about, you know, you just said, you know, we felt like we, we put in some good work and that's just an example. Um, but let me check with Chris, though. How you been, man? How things going? I'm good, man. Um, just want to thank everybody and thank you guys for coming on to the uh, the draft hangout that I do every year. And, uh, you know, you guys and everybody else that joined made it a lot of fun. And uh, now I'm just ready to, to dig into this class so we could, you know, finally see who's going to be on this 2020 roster and, and how things are going to shake out. It was a lot of fun for those of you who who didn't get a chance to check it out. Uh, Chris does a live stream, uh, has a bunch of different guests on, and we just chop it up and talk about players as they come off the board. I didn't sleep for three days uh, <laughs> trying to trying to recover. Now you know that's that's hard on a 45 year old man not not sleeping like that. So trying to recover, recovered a little bit. Um, kids was running me around on Sunday, but uh, in in the house of course not, not we're still staying safe. Uh, but we're going to talk about it all. And so let's do it. Let's start right at the top. We're just going to go right in order. And we're going to start with their first round pick at number 28. They stayed at that 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 spot, didn't didn't trade out. And they took Patrick Queen from LSU. Chris, let me start with you. What do you think about Patrick Queen? Um, I liked it. Um, it's a, a guy that's obviously been linked to them you know, throughout this whole process and most drafts you would probably say it would be Queen or Murray. Um, so it wasn't a shock when he was the pick there. Um, and uh, I think it's, it was a great pick. Um, you know, you got one of the youngest guys in the draft who's just starting to scratch the surface of to what he could potentially be. 
and uh, all of the tools are there. You know, you see a plus athlete. Um, you see a guy who's who has he's not only an athlete. You see a guy that has a quick processor, one of the quickest processors in this class when it comes to the uh, to the other linebackers. Like we see a lot of fast guys like Willie Gay, like Jordan Brooks, like uh, Murray. But um, it's it's just something there with with Queen where you can see that he's reading his keys and he's making the right decisions when it comes to the run game or. You know, when it's diagnosing as a screenplay, you know, before anyone else can. And I think that's something that's been missing from this defense for a really, really long time. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that they finally have a a true uh, linebacker who they can count on and depend on because uh, it's been rough. As, as we know, last season, it's been rough without CJ there. Um, well, depending who you ask, but it's been rough <laughs> without him there. <laughs> Absolutely, depending on who you ask. Maybe maybe Carrie will get into some of that. I'm gonna try to stay away from it. But Carrie, let me let me hit you on on the first round pick now. How did you feel about it? Yeah, it was uh it was interesting, man. It, it's um, you know, the draft always brings that whole BPA versus knee kind of thing and like nobody ever can put the right amount of nuance on it, and it's never either one or the other. Um, but I think BPA and knee met in the middle kind of pretty smoothly here with Queen. Um, stylistically, I think he's the type of inside backer that you want. Um, the guy that's very comfortable in coverage, uh, moving laterally. Uh, but he also has that added ability to break on the football in the air. I mean, he made some impressive plays uh, on the ball this year. Um, again, I, um, I always kind of harking back to this, but I just love the way that he wasn't the starter to begin uh, the year, but he came in and took the job and ran with it and just became the leader of a, a defense full of, um, you know, NFL caliber players. Um, I think I kind of went back and watched him again um, uh, probably a couple days before the draft, uh, just having a sense that he could be the pick. And I think I, I didn't give him quite as much credit in the run game as I should have. Um, ironically, I think that's because I watched uh, Malik Harrison um, right before him uh, the last time I watched him. And now those, those guys are teammates, um, which is crazy. But um, this is one of those things, man. You, um, you know, in the first round, the Ravens always talk about hitting doubles. And I think this guy's unquestionably that. Um, but at the same time, he's an explosive guy, uh, a motivated guy with some leadership qualities um, that can kind of give this pick upside kind of intangibly, intangibly and um, tangibly. So um, very, very, very good first pick, man. I, I, the more you watch him and the more you kind of um, see what they, they were what they were trying to do in the more you kind of like this pig. Yeah, I, I liked it, um, you know, because we, we guys have a, a, a Twitter chat and we talk all the time about different things. And um, you guys know I talked about Kenneth Murray a lot. Um, you know, we we all liked Queen. I mean, if you go back to the, the draft bracket that we did, you know, we, we had him kind of moving through. Um, you know, he got beat out at, at a certain point, but we all in that first round matchup when it was him versus Murray, it was, you know, hands down. We all said, well, well Queen is a guy that we like better. And it's for all the reasons 
that both of you um, already laid out. So I I won't even really add anything to that other than um, and this is something that I think we're going to see uh, a common theme throughout all these picks is just some of the intangible kind of stuff that you hear about him. Um, you talk to Kerry about him not not starting at the beginning of the year and kind of earning that job. Um, you know, when he came to LSU, he was behind Devin White. Um, so, you know, he went there knowing that, uh, you know, there's a guy who's pretty much a stud in front of me and I'm going to have to buy my time. And he did that. And then he got a chance to get in the game when Devin White got suspended uh, in an Alabama game for a targeting call. And he got in and he played. And then uh, that was 2018. And then, you know, fast forward to 2019, they start the season and he's still not to start. They're starting Jacob Phillips and Michael Divinity Jr. ahead of him. And so he didn't look to enter the transfer portal or anything like that. He went to his coaches and asked what he needed to do to improve. And, uh, you know, they, they probably told him a variety of things. But uh, one of the things that was reported in the article that I read was something you both hit on was run defense. He said, you know, you need to need to really work on your run fits, work on, you know, your technique in terms of, uh, you know, using your hands, you know, the, the all your keys and, and, and really trusting what you see. And obviously he did those things and did it in in a way that allowed him to take over that starting job, like you mentioned, and keep it uh, and and in the biggest game in the national championship, you know, win the defensive MVP. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who um, has those intangibles that you like to see, too. Nothing was was given to him. You know, he even though you, you think about being at a power five school like like LSU and, you know, maybe the advantages that might come with that. He had to earn his way onto the field. And he did it, you know, and then it was through work. So, you know, I think you love to see that in any pick, but particularly in, in a guy that you take that high. So uh, let's keep it right on moving. One thing with the first round pick, um, what do you guys think happens if, say, the Seahawks pick Queen at 27? Because there were some rumors going around saying that Higgins might have been the pick. Yeah, Kerry, I'll let you start on that. Yeah, that one was interesting. I feel like I kind of don't know how serious to take that. I feel like um, every year, um, you know, Ravens, Twitter, we spend so much time, like, studying all these different top wide receiver prospects, and then the Ravens don't take them. And then (laughs) after the draft, they always throw us a bone and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we really like this guy. So I don't know how that really was. Um, I don't know. Like, he's a good player. Like, I'm not doubting that, you know, they had interest in him. But um, I kind of feel like if if Queen wasn't um, on the board there that, you know, maybe they trade back. Um, I mean, they could – I mean, obviously they could have took Higgins at 28. But um, I think – the way this draft kind of aligned, I think um, they showed a real vote of confidence in Boykin uh, is kind of what stood out to me the most. Um, So, um, and, you know, Uh, okay. So yeah, Higgins, Uh, I also like you, Carrie, don't know uh, how much stock to put in those reports after the draft about them being interested in, in wide receivers. I mean, it makes you feel good, I guess, because like you said, fan base, we we get all worked up over wide receivers. So um, it makes you feel like, oh, man, we were close. They really were thinking about one. But who knows? 
Um, but some of the other guys who had been connected to them were off the board at that point. Ruiz was gone to the Saints. Murray was gone to the Chargers. Um, I'm kind of scrolling through now trying to refresh my memory. I don't know if Epinesa. Uh, yeah, he was gone. He was off no, the board. No, uh, Epinesa got taken in the second round. Oh, that's right. That's right. He didn't go into the second round. Excuse me. So, you know, that was a guy who they really liked in terms of at that first round pick, you know, they would have had the opportunity to take him there. They didn't. So, I mean, I think that that tells you something uh, about how they saw him in terms of being a first round pick. So it would have been interesting. Uh, I like T Higgins. I don't think I would have been upset with the pick. I wasn't really concerned uh, with the speed. I think that was kind of the knock that a lot of people had with him was, was the speed. But to me, um, he was faster than I think people gave him credit for. And I think the one thing that he did, um, the trait, he had a dominant trait, right? And that was, um, you know, winning the ball in the air, playing above the rim, 50-50 ball, contested catch, whatever you want to call it. He was maybe the best at that in this group of wide receivers. And so I think when you you know how you win and you're dominant in that way, then, um, you know, that's something that I'll take a chance on. So didn't happen. It's fun to talk about. Um, but I'm, I'm more than happy with uh, with Patrick Queen. Yeah, I think that was the best case scenario right, with him going to them. But it, it was real touch and go with the uh, with the Seahawks right there, because them taking a linebacker, it was so close that that could have easily been Murray. I mean, uh, Queen easily. And they decided I, to take Brooks. I was really surprised that it wasn't. <laughs> once once I saw that they took a backer before that, I I didn't know. You know, we 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 were talking about it uh, when I was on I was on Ken's live stream and who do we think the pick is? What direction do you think uh, the Seahawks are going to go? And I threw out backer just because I was looking at their roster and I said, you know, obviously uh, KJ Wright and um, Bobby. I'm blanking on Bobby's last name. Wagner. Bobby Wagner. Um, really good players have been great players, but they can't play forever. And so I was kind of thinking, yeah, maybe they'll take a backer. Just be a really good spot. Queen will fall right in their lap, but they liked Brooks better and it just couldn't have worked out any better from my perspective uh, for the Ravens. So yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think it, it was just about as, 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 as it went it was about as well as it could have for the Ravens and they didn't have to do anything but sit there and let the board fall to them and make a pick and take a player that they really like. Now, this next pick uh, in the second round was the one that I think surprised a lot of people, um, in, including me, even though if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I was I was all on the train driving the train for the Clyde Edwards Hilaire pick at 55 because I was trying to tie it into the Ray Rice synergy back in 2008. He was also second round pick number 55. Uh, but little did I know the player who, you know, who's also comped by a lot of people to Ray Rice is J.K. Dobbins. So I'll start with you this time. Chris, what do you think about uh, J.K. Dobbins uh, at first pick and at their their first pick in the second round? Uh, so like you, I was I was surprised, too. Um and I know when we did our little draft, um, it was it was something that came up as well. And uh, we decided to to not go with, the, you know, the running back position. But we all agreed that there was talent definitely there. So yeah, I don't think anyone should have a problem with the 
with the player, J.K. Dobbins himself, because if if the Chiefs take him at 32, no one bats an eye. Everyone is like, yeah, that's a great pick. So to, for the Ravens to get him at 55, that's just a, a home run and a no-brainer pick. And and when you look at how the board fell, you the only other player that you might justify that you know for yourself in your mind is maybe Mims, Denzel Mims, who was falling at that time. But other than that, I mean, there's no other player that that you could see being rated nearly as high as J.K. Dobbins at that point. No, and I think even even when you look at at Mims, and I think a lot of people uh, expected him to. I think the first round stuff was probably always a stretch. I think the second round is where people kind of felt like, you know, because he had kind of had that late season surge, you know, kind of after the season in, in the process with playing well at the senior bowl and then obviously testing well at the combine that people thought, okay, maybe that bumps him into the second round. Um, and so I think, like you said, you could, you could see people kind of seeing maybe him there at that pick. But if you just compare the guys, if you just compare the players, I mean, I can't think of too many people who would say just in a vacuum, don't take set need aside or what you you know perceive need. Who's the better player, Dobbins or Mims? I think most people would say J.K. Dobbins yep. was the better player. So, uh, you know, if you look at it from that standpoint, uh, then, you know, you that that's what you want the team to do. You want them to take the best player. Uh, and, and I think that's that's what they did. Um, and, and like you said, you've been driving that train for them. You know, it was just everything was lining up. You just had a different player, but everything was lining up. That 55 pick, um, damn near almost the same dynamic for the running back room, where Mm -hmm. back in in 2008, it was McGahee, it was um, Leron McLean, and Mm -hmm. um, it was Ray Rice, and was was it somebody else? No, that was the big three. And then right now, the Ravens have Mark Ingram, they have Gus Edwards. They have Justice Hill. And you were on that train of like, it was it's damn near identical to back then. And it's this exact same pick. And that's what led me to it. That's why I really couldn't get it out of my head. It wasn't so much about um, the players this year, even though I, I liked Edwards Hilaire, I liked Dobbins. But it was just you think about these personnel guys and you think about them being in an organization and, and being there for the number of years that DaCosta and Ortiz and all these guys have been around and you see moves that are made in the past and how they play out and the kind of success that the team has, you know, from those moves. And you, you know, you just have to think that those guys have that in their mind. Like, Hey, here's a very similar situation in terms of our current running back room, in terms of the pick, in terms of the player, you know, that that's that, that's available there now. who We didn't expect to be there now. And it just for me, it was like these guys, they're not going to be able to to ignore that. They're going to be like this. This just looks and feels just everything feels like that. That situation back in 2008. Um, but, Kerry, uh, were you surprised by uh, the Dobbins pick at 55? No, not at all. And. Well, first thing I want to ask is, are we sure that we are allowed to talk positively about this? this select? <laughs> I don't think we are. We're doing it, though. Not we in the analytics community. Rules, are we? we are. We're breaking rules. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's just what's going to happen right now. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, like I, I laid this this scenario out a couple different um, times on, on the pod. I mean, when you look at it, 
always felt like if they had the chance to add a, a legit three down feature back, um, you know, in the second or third round of the draft, and they would, would think about pulling the trigger on it. Um, here's a guy, J.K. Dobbins, um, you know, a legitimate, like I said, three down feature back that you're getting at a fraction of the cost um, of, you know, a player of that ilk would cost you, you know, currently in, in the NFL. Um, he's a guy that's, I think his contract is going to be 5.7 million for four years. I mean, you, you talking about some of the, the deals that you see these big time feature bats that get paid, get 5.7 million for four years is nothing. Um, you know, there is a, it's a look into the future, but it's also something that can help you in the present as well. And, you know, you can't get too caught up in, well, Gus uh, Edwards uh, averages over five yards per carry. Well, as good as a player as Gus is, he's not a J.K. Dobbins. This is a totally different animal that we're talking about here with a guy that can contribute in the past game and is a legit home run, um, you know, player. So um, I think it was just a, a good pick, a really good player. He's probably one of the best, one of the better pure players in this draft and at 55, he was a great value. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really see the downside, um, you know, with this pick. No. And again, I'll, I'll just hit on some intangibles again. Um, he was, uh, selected as a team captain. Here we go again. Ding, ding. We usually did like a drinking game. Every time we say team <laughs> oh, captain, somebody no, take no. a drink. We, we don't want to do that. We'll be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he was, uh, selected as a team captain as a junior, uh, at Ohio State, which from from what I read is is pretty rare, um, and and we were we were talking about this this quote before the show where he he talked about his uh, 2018 season where he split time with Mike Weber and he still ran for over a thousand yards and ten touchdowns and he called it a failure and said that he was going to uh, rededicate himself in the weight room over the off season and transform his body and then what does he do in 2019? He runs for 2000 yards and 21 touchdowns. So, uh, you know, you love to to see that kind of motivation uh, from a guy. And, uh, you know, for me, again, you can you can get into the positional value thing and look what we have on the roster. And it doesn't make sense. And you can talk about all of that. And you should talk about those things. But, uh, you know, while I'm, I'm, you know, breaking my arm to pat myself on the back. I think it was probably DJ, probably Daniel Jeremiah, who's one of the first guys who kind of projected the Ravens taking a running back early. Now, he he talked about Swift in the first round at 28. So he was he was a little too early, but he was one of the first guys who was out there who who said, that, hey, they could take a running back early, uh, despite what you know, you you think about the current group that they already have because they want to run the ball and they're not going to stop running the ball. And when you want to run the ball as much as they do, you need to have running backs. And so uh, from that standpoint, you know, his 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 logic made a lot of sense. Um, and, and what I don't what I don't understand with the, the people that are poo pooing the, the pick is look at how important the, um, Mark Ingram was to the Ravens offense last year. Yeah. So let's say we take Mark Ingram off the team and we just plug in Gus Edwards and say he has a, a fine year. Is it still the same season with Gus Edwards running the ball? Or did Mark Ingram bring intangibles that you can't really quantify into numbers? Did he bring that onto the team as well? 
And then when you, because you said J.K. Dobbins, he's a team captain as well, and a guy that's, you know, I mean, he rushed for a thousand yards, and he called that a bad season. So he's obviously a guy that has that holds himself to a high standard and and elevates his team. Because if you watch him at Ohio State, especially that uh, the bowl game against Clemson, he was the guy that had that offense rolling. And then he got hurt in that game. He suffered a high ankle injury. And once he went out of the game, this is a school with a bunch of five-star recruits and, you know, a a quarterback that's going to be in the running for one of the top draft picks in 2021. But when Dobbins was out of the game, they just stalled. And that just shows you the impact that a guy like that can have on a team. And it, it, it goes further than numbers. It absolutely does. There's there's some there's there's things that happen in football in any sport um, that can't be quantified by numbers. You know, I know we're in the analytics era and we want to try to quantify everything and we want to measure everything. And I don't think there's anything wrong with with the want to. But I think you also have to balance the want to with the acceptance of there are things that are still important that I can't necessarily quantify yet maybe maybe they'll get there who knows but those things are still important and look no disrespect to gus you made that point and i I just want to echo it no disrespect to gus at all because look we know how well gus performed in 2018 um you know after alex collins got hurt and then had some other issues off the field gus stepped in and um you know basically became their starting running back and then this year even though they brought in ingram and I, i don't think anybody um, you know, who's being honest about it would would argue that that Ingram's a better running back overall than Gus Edwards. But Gus plays an important role on the team and he's just incredibly consistent. He had 137 carries for 718 yards in 2018, 133 carries, 711 yards in 2019, two touchdowns in both, you know, each in 2018 and 2019 and 5.2 carries in, in 2018 and 5.3, I'm sorry, 5.2 yards per carry and 5.3 yards per carry in 2019. It's just an incredibly consistent guy, plays on special teams, does everything they ask him to do, never complains. So I think they understand how valuable a contributor he is and the role he plays on the team. But they also understand that he is a role player. And, right. you know, you bring in a guy like Ingram, that that's that's just a whole nother beast. And then you select a guy like Dobbins and it's a similar thing. You know, this is this is a whole whole nother type of dude. So uh, I got no issue with it whatsoever. Um, and it doesn't sound like either one of you guys do uh, either. So um, let's move on to their first pick in the third round because and I don't have the trade details in front of me, but a lot of fans might remember they had a, another second round pick at, uh, at 60 and ended up trading that pick uh, and, and moving back into round three and acquiring at least one additional pick. Right. I think I got that part right. At least I Maybe think they got, got an extra third. I think it okay. was. I think. And so, and so yeah. with that first pick uh, number 71, they take, Defensive tackle Justin Matabike. I think I'm pronouncing that right now. I used to say Matabuke. I think it's actually Matabike out of Texas A&M. Um, they took his teammate last year, Dalen Mack, out of Texas A&M. And this time they go back to the well, uh, the Texas A&M well. And I'll start with you on this one, uh, Kerry. What did you think about the selection of Justin Matabike? Yeah, that one. I, question for you guys with um, with them. 
um, after watching him and just looking at his tape and looking at his traits and, you know, looking at, you know, just him as a whole, if he had, let's say, 34 and a half inch arms, what type of draft stock are we looking at for him, do you think? Sure. I mean, I know there were some people that had late first round grades on him. But um, with that, I, I think he might definitely be in the late first if he had those long arms to go with it, or at, at minimum, early second. Yeah, because you, you look at, you know, some of the other traits. Um, he, he didn't do all of the testing at the combine, but to measure in at 6'3", 293, and run a 4'8", <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because I'm just like, it's ridiculous uh, <laughs> that a guy that size can run like that, put up 31 reps uh, on the bench. Uh, so, you know, the, the and when you turn on the tape, you know, you see the quickness, you see the explosiveness. Um, you know, definitely has pass rush, uh, pass rush traits uh, from an interior defensive lineman. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Chris. I think, you know, he he probably would have been projected, if, if not into the bottom of the first, definitely into the second. I asked that because I, I, you know, I was going back and doing some work on him and I, you know, was looking at the tape again. And I mean, this guy is very explosive, but very versatile. Um very strong. Um, he, he is good with his hands, but something that really stuck out to me, I was going back and kind of listening to, um, um, you know, some pies and, um, Kyle Krabs had him as his, um, number two interior defense alignment over Ken Long. And he felt like, he felt like he was a more, uh, versatile and more explosive player than Ken Law. He felt like, you know, Ken Law was kind of, you know, explosive but you know kind of linearly explosive and kind of bull in a china shop and he felt like uh matabuki um it kind of had some you know more um versatility to him and then they just got me to thinking that and i went back and looked at kinlaw again and you know it just made me think like if if he had the arm length that kinlaw had like how 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 far are we separating these guys, man? I, I think we're talking about a really, really quality interior defensive tackle here. Um, and to me, like, he got dropped into the perfect situation. Um, I think he'll back up, you know, Derek Wolf um, early on, but I think he can, he can you know, play a good share of snaps. Um, he's a guy I think they can definitely – unleash as a one gap, you know, guy on um, third downs, um, you know, rushing and getting up field. But, you know, I would be very surprised if he's not a quality, I mean, a real quality starting three tech, um, you know, by 2021. Like, I, I think this is a this is a really, really good pick. Yeah, I, I looked up uh, Ken Law's profile on Mock Draftable. Shout out to Mock Draftable while you were you were talking just to, to see the comparables and he didn't apparently he didn't run and didn't do the testing. So we just have his measurables. If Mata BK had those measurables, he probably would have been a top 10. pick. <laughs> because I'm, looking, I'm looking at Ken Law's spider chart and there's there's like no white space. It's like completely filled in. It's a diamond because he's in like the at least the 84th percentile and everything. Six, five, three, twenty four, 
34 and 7 8 in his arms, 10 and a half in chance. <laughs> just a monster <laughs> of person. And if you add that to the explosiveness and the things that you talked about about Matavike, if he had that physical profile, yeah, that that's a top 10 dude uh right there. But uh let me let me hit you on on Matavike, Chris and get your thoughts. Uh it was a great pick. Uh I think if if the Ravens stay at 60 and they choose, they pick him there, it's still a home run pick. So to move back and still be able to get him in the third round, it makes it even sweeter because you, you get a quality player who's not a third third round player on tape. I mean, there's no way you watch this guy on tape and you say, yeah, that's a third rounder. He's a two-time team MVP, team captain, drink. <laughs> and and like Kerry said, man, he's an, he's an athletic freak. He was a guy, when he was in high school, he was only 250. So he wasn't one of these big guys that was, you know, 280, 300 coming out of high school. He had to put on this weight. And you, you even see that with his frame where he's, you know, one of these guys that's like more cut up and, and high cut than a lot of these guys that we'll see like a Neville Gallimore who, who has like a little bit of a belly, but it's still athletic. Matabike, he's a guy that's, you know, strong, like, you know, like almost like a jail body kind of thing. And you see that <laughs> athleticism come up. And he's one of those guys that will just split the gap and just go through like a bull in the china shop and just wreak havoc on everybody. Gotta love the, the jail body. Uh, that <laughs> if you, you, if you, if you, you, you cut like that, then, you know, you, 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 one of those get off the bus. Team. You, you want the team to see you get off the bus first. And they like, Oh my goodness. Look, look at what we got to deal with here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you guys had to say about him. And for me, uh, I, when, when I've watched him, particularly the LSU game, if you watch that LSU game and they were on the wrong end of the scoreboard in that game, no question about that. Texas A&M was. Uh, and you'll see when Matabike is double teamed, he really kind of struggled with that. And to me, I didn't really look at that as a negative, though. I looked at how often um, LSU gave him that kind of attention, how often they sent two blockers his way, because when they didn't, and he only got a handful of one-on-ones in that game, maybe like six, five or six at all snaps he played that game. They're in, and and he got a turn against each one of their interior guys, right guard, center, left guard. They couldn't block him one-on-one, none of them, none of them. So to me, you could look at some of the stuff against the double teams and say, oh, look how they got movement on him. Look how he ended up on the ground and see that as a negative. And, and it's certainly you know something in terms of an area for improvement. But you can also look at it from – well, they respected him that much that they didn't want to leave him one on one. They knew they basically couldn't leave him one on one or their guys couldn't handle it. Um, so, you know, you, you really had to watch that tape all the way through. And it's tough, you know, when you're talking about like a 40 point lead, but <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch it all the way through to see some of the damage that he did when he did get those those one on one opportunities. And, you know, you think about the defensive line group. That the Ravens have put together already with the guys they have on the team. Brandon Williams is obviously already there. They add Calais Campbell. They add Derek Wolf. And now you think about Mate BK kind of working into that rotation again. His teammate Dylan Mack is there. He should be able to get some more one-on-one opportunities at this level. And if he can oh, yeah. produce in in similar ways, um, you know, you could you could see some real production. Uh, and and that's a that's a real question that was 
that was there coming into this draft because, I mean, we saw what happened last year where they thought they were good on the, the defensive line, and then they were forced to, to throw in uh, Pernell McPhee, which is something that we, that we spoke about a lot, where they wanted to have McPhee on a snap count, but then due to the needs and having to play him even more, they just ran him through the ground, and then he ended up getting hurt. And I feel like that's something that they do not want to see themselves in again, where they have to sign guys off the street just to, you know, get people in the starting lineup. And with, you know, Derek Wolf, I mean, he's been a, a good player, but he's a little bit older. He does have some injury history. And he's a guy that when we watched him um, separately, we we all said, that's a guy that they need to have on a snap count, too, that they can't give him those heavy snap numbers. And Matabike, he's a guy that can definitely come in and spell him, and there won't be a massive drop-off. There's a guy that'll be there who can contribute in 2020, but then also we have that long-term answer. Yeah, and he has the versatility to do that, as Kerry mentioned. Like he can play three technique. He could play no shade. You could probably even line him up. At a four eye, maybe even a five technique outside, you know, outside shade on a on a tackle. So he, he can do a little bit of everything in terms of alignment. Uh, and so not only do you get the youth, the athleticism, you get the versatility and the leadership uh, in terms of another team captain and, and moving into uh, their next pick in the third round at 92. I'm just going to get it out of the way. Another team captain, because uh, I have been drinking, as we said, team captain, <laughs> and I'm headed for trouble. I'm just going to let you know that right now. I'm headed for trouble. Uh, so Devin Duvernay <laughs> was the pick at 92. And uh, in in what his head coach, Tom Herman, said was kind of a rare move for him. Uh, he appointed uh, Duvernay as a team captain in midseason. He said something he'd maybe only done once before uh, as, as a coach. So I think it was somewhere in October where he called the team together for <laughs> and appointed Duvernay as a team captain. So he, he got the midseason appointment. Uh, which which tells you something about, you know, how he was performing at that point. So um, I think, Carrie, you're up this time. What did you think? This was the, the position fans have been clamoring for. Get a wide receiver. And they they, they take their first one with DuVernay at uh, 92. Yeah, I thought. Well, the first thing I thought of was that this was just confirmation that Eric DaCosta listened to our last episode. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty clear. Confirmation. <laughs> But what I thought was interesting about this for you me. You got better value, though, not to interrupt. You got better value because I think yeah, you got yeah, better value. I, I really did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pat myself on the back for that one. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, what I thought was interesting about this was when I was looking at the position, I spent all this time and I was kind of thinking about the characteristics that fit best with um, Boykin and Brown um, at receiver. And, you know, I, I, I laid it out previously and thought about a guy who would be versatile in alignment, uh, could make tough catches between the numbers and could get yards after the catch. And then DaCosta made the um, comment about he wanted the offense to be indefensible. So then my brain started going another way. So I started thinking about, OK, um, you know, maybe he wants this twitchy kind of speed demon. Well, when you look at uh, Devin DuVernay, He's kind of a fusion of both of those thought processes. Um, I think he'll be a guy that can make those tough catches between the numbers. Um, he's not really a loose, flexible guy, but I think he's he's tough and and, and totally capable of handling some of the scheme touch, um, you know, 
jet sweeps and those kind of things and uh, creating yards that way. Um, he's a you know day one slot receiver, but I think he'll be able to play some Z. And I mean the dude runs four three nine, so I mean that that's you can never you know go wrong with that kind of speed. So you know when you put all those things together, it's easy to see why why they um, prioritize them. And you know teams kind of like the you know, blow smoke after the draft and, it, you know, this is my guy, this is the guy I wanted all along and that kind of thing. This feels genuine. Like, I think that this is a guy they really wanted to leave the draft with. Like, you can just tell um, it was important to them. It was important to DaCosta. I think it was important to Harbaugh. I think they had, um, uh, you know, really, really prioritized this guy as, a, as somebody they felt like fit the team, fit the, um, the makeup of the team but also fit, uh, again, between um, Boykin and Brown. Um, I think this is a real uh, vote of confidence in Boykin um, that, you know, they believe in him at the X receiver position. So, you know, that's kind of what I took from it, Um, you know, that um, I think this was a fusion between those two kind of thought processes. Yeah, yeah, he he fits – you know, that's that was the thing as I've watched him uh, in a couple of games now. And, and you mentioned the speed, you know, the speed just jumps off. You see that right away, um, catches everything. And, um, you know, his quarterback there at Texas wasn't wasn't the most accurate dude in the world at times. And so DuVernay had to had to adjust to some balls and he was able to do that and catch them. So he just really fits uh, their office. Not that 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 Lamar is not accurate. I didn't mean it in that way, but just in terms of uh, the speed in terms of being able to fill different roles, play different wide receiver positions, uh, can also, you know, get involved in, in the run game and probably some jet sweeps and screens and stuff like that. He fits from those perspectives. But Chris, let me get your your opinion on on DuVernay, as you were also a part of the deep cover uh, war room who selected uh, this young man. <laughs> yes, I was the role of Joe Ortiz. And uh, I was on board with it. Um, as you guys know, you know, we've been talking about the draft for a while now. And, you know, one of the things that I've been uh, obsessed with is, is getting more speed on the field. Because, as we know, we saw how the, the offense looked when uh, when uh, Hollywood was out of the game, with a, uh, when he missed a couple of uh, games with injuries. And uh, it just it, it condensed the whole field. And I felt like getting more speed not to just have to worry not just have to rely on on hollywood speed but to bring in another guy that could also you know bring that that kind of pressure on a defense where if you make one mistake this guy is gone and you know he could take it to the house for 60 yards like we saw duvernay do against lsu and that's something that i feel like was really really important for them to get and with this guy in duvernay He's not just a fast guy. Like I heard DeCosta speaking today on the Ravens podcast and said the main thing that he liked about him. I mean, obviously, it's the speed. That's the first thing that jumps out at you. But it was his attitude that he was a guy that was not he was not there to have fun. He was not there to make friends. He was there to knock you down if you got in you in his way. And he was there to do his job. And that's what you see when you watch him on tape. You don't see him smiling. You don't see him giggling or high-fiving everybody. You see him out there trying to take heads off and just do his job. And and that's something that, 
you know, you don't really see from from wide receivers. And, and it's important. It's an important dynamic to have for especially this wide receiver group because there are games where Duvernay might not get the ball. He might not get a target. And he'll just be blocking the whole game. We saw with Boykin. So you need those kind of guys that they're not just there for the glamour. They're there to do what they need to do in order to, to win, put the team in a, the best position to win. And and he's he's an A plus guy with that kind of character. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point because um, I don't know that we probably put as much emphasis on that as we should. I think you saw it a little bit going back to 2018 when Crabtree and John Brown were here. Um, this offense, when Lamar took over and what it's been like, is as productive as it's been. You're right. There are going to be times where at the wide receiver position, you might not get a target in a game or, or, or very few targets and you can't act out. You know, you can't be in the locker room, you know, after the game complaining about you need the ball more and this and that. That's just not going to work uh, in, in this locker room and, and in this offense. And so, you know, for everything that you said about DuVernay and what DaCosta said about his attitude, um, you know, I can only think of Marshawn Lynch. He's about that action, boss. That's, that action. That is it. <laughs> that is what he's here to do. And, uh, you know, he sounds like a professional. You know, he, say he sounds like a bro, even though he's just coming uh, out of college and he already had that mentality. And we've talked about that before in other pods about these these young guys in college who have that professional mentality. You love it. You know, you love it that they're ready to come in and make that transition Um you know, there's the physical side of it and there's the, the football classroom learning side of it. But there's also the off the field, just professional side. Right. This is now your job. And there are a lot of things that go along with that. Um, and it sounds like he's he's got the right mindset. So um, we're going to stay in the third round. We got one more pick now here in the third round because of that earlier trade that we talked about. So just six picks later at, at number 98, and maybe this one was a little bit of a surprise, too, just in terms of the position, not the player. I guess not probably as big of a surprise uh, as the Dobbin pick to a lot of people, but doubling down at inside linebacker in Ohio State's Malik Harrison, um, a guy with uh, an interesting background from high school to Ohio State. He, he came to Ohio State, from what I've read, you know, basically recruited as an athlete. He played quarterback in high school. He played some strong safety. He also punted in high school. So <laughs> he was a guy who did a little bit of everything and then transformed himself. You know, obviously, you know, the work that he put in in the weight room and on the field and with his coaches into an inside linebacker and a damn good one. So uh, start with you on this one, Chris uh, Malik Harrison. What do you think about that pick? Uh, like you said, it was it was kind of shocking to see them double up. But I mean, there's he's kind of the yin to Patrick Queen's yang in a way. So he's a bigger linebacker known more as a thumper, but he's, I feel like a lot of people kind of get down on his, on his coverage skills or him in space, but I think he's fine in space. I don't think he's a huge liability in space. Um, it's just, I've, I just feel like, cause he's so big, people just want to slap that label on him and pigeonhole him into being just that downhill guy. But I saw a guy that's, you know, he processes the field really well and what's going on, you know, behind him and also in front of him. And this was another pick where if he goes in the second round, no one bats an eye. 
So to get him in the third round, it's a, another home run pick. And he's another guy that has those leadership qualities. And, you know, you read these little tidbits from the coaching staff and they say, yeah, he kind of took control of this team as the year went on. And he, he kind of made it his defense along with, with Jeffrey Okuda. So, you know, these are just things that you you like seeing when it comes to the draft, the incoming draft class to add to this team that already has, you know, a great chemistry and, and probably one of the most tight knit teams that we saw all of 2019. So uh, it was a, a home run pick. And I'm just I'm glad that they got those two guys. And it's, it's a theme that we see with the Ravens a lot where they like to double up on picks, whether it's uh, Ed Dixon and uh, Dennis Pitta whether it's, um, you know, Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews, they like to double up on these picks. And uh, I think it's, it's good. It, it allows these guys to, to grow together and, and you know, kind of go through the fire together. And it, it, to me, it brings them closer in a way. Yeah, I've already seen the Thunder and Lightning nickname. <laughs> For him and uh, Patrick Queen, which I guess Malik's the thunder and Queen is the lightning. But to your point, I mean, don't don't sleep just because Malik Harrison is 20 pounds heavier than Queen. Don't sleep on the athleticism. This is a guy who ran a four six six, which is a good time for a guy mm-hmm. six three, 247 pounds, uh, you know, tested pretty highly in, in some of the other um you know events there at the combine too so this is this is another good athlete i mean like you said he he's a bigger body and probably um you know plays with a little bit more thump in terms of coming downhill in the run game not the queen can't do that but uh just that that harrison probably plays that that's probably a little bit more of his game but he's also a good athlete um carrie let me ask you about malik harrison did it surprise you that they doubled down at inside linebacker Absolutely not. Like, I, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but this is the third year in a row I've gotten my draft bay drafted by the Ravens. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing something right. I'm living right. <laughs> and, and for the record, Kerry's the first person who told me about Malik Harrison months ago. He was like, mm-hmm. he told me and Mike, he was like, you got to watch this guy, Malik Harrison. And it, it took me a little while, but I finally watched him and I liked him. So Kerry was was the first one on that train to tell me that. Yeah, love, love, love Malik Harrison, man. Just a very sound, very physical player. And like you pointed out, Mike, uh, just with more um, athleticism and versatility than I think he's given um, credit for, uh, you know, the the shallow zone and, you know, uh, you know, short coverage responsibilities. I think he can definitely handle that. Um, You see him use his hands to be able to, you know, be physical with guys and you know reroute receivers he can do those kind of things i mean the the ravens aren't really asking their linebackers to just man up on guys anyway so i, I think for what he's going to be asked to do he can more than hold his own um there but i mean what he does bring uh from a physicality standpoint just being that rock in the middle of the field i mean they the dude just like just jolts uh you know guards and and tackles back um, you know, with his physicality and his preparation and the use of his hands and, uh, you know, just a guy that, that really gets it, understands what's going on out there on the field. And I, I really, really enjoyed uh, watching his tape and just looking at him stylistically, what I think um, really kind of sets him apart. And I think uh, something that the Ravens are probably looking at is uh, with 
the style in which he plays and almost 33 inch arms, I feel like this is a guy that can kind of chip in um, um, as a depth piece at that Sam linebacker position too. Uh, you know, the Ravens didn't draft an, uh, uh, a edge guy, but you know, they got Judon on the franchise tag and they got Bowser uh, in his walk year. Um, I was surprised they didn't draft an edge, but I think maybe part of that thought process, process might be, you know, we have a guy here that's smart enough, that's physical enough, that's versatile enough that maybe he can give us some depth at that position as well. So I think uh, obviously he was a screaming value to be there at 98, but I think, uh, you know, his potential versatility uh, made it even easier for the Ravens to, to take him at 98. That's a very, very interesting point you made about him uh, and maybe maybe even Queen at times. I, I think even Harbaugh talked about that with Queen, like, hey, we could rush him off the edge at times. But but focusing on Harrison about maybe being able to give them some snaps in, in that Sam linebacker type role. When I looked him up on my draftable, you know who his number one athletic comparable is at 94.4 percent. None other than Ty's Bowser. So, mm, yeah. He's, he's, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's got that same athletic profile, and they probably are thinking exactly what you're thinking. Because again, they've been listening to the show, they've been stealing <laughs> picks from you. <laughs> so I think you're feeding them a lot of information, and they're acting on it, which is good. You know, you like to see that. Um, so that that is interesting, and I, I could definitely maybe see uh, him, you know, playing some of that role and. It's something that you guys know I talk about all the time, positionless football and not getting caught up on, um, you know, position designations and trying to think about defense and offense um, more in terms of roles. You know, what what is what is the scheme asking a particular player to do? You know, who, who cares what you call them? But what 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 kinds of things um, uh, are that player being asked to do? And so. If you think about Harrison being able to give you some of that coverage in the same way that Bowser and even Judon do, where, again, like you said, they're not matching up man to man with guys, but they're dropping the short zones. They're dropping out to the curl flat. Um, you know, they're doing some of that stuff. You could you could definitely see Harrison um, do do some of those things and, and did do some of those things at Ohio State. So I like that a lot. We'll we'll see if we hear that in an upcoming Ravens press conference. And if you do hear it from anybody, you'll know where they got it from. Right out of Kerry's mouth. <laughs> so uh, let's move on uh, to another third round pick. My goodness, they had four of them. I, I didn't even realize that. Uh, and this was a guy that I actually tweeted out a bunch of clips on today because I watched him against Auburn. Mississippi State's uh, left tackle Tyree Phillips. Um and I was also saying that I don't know how this guy wasn't on my radar at all. I mean, he was a starting left tackle in the SEC, and I don't think I mentioned his name, heard his name, thought about his name at all. Yet the Ravens taking there at 106. So, uh, Kerry, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you think about Tyree Phillips? And again, um, Similar to wide receiver, I think interior O-line was another position that people were kind of clamoring for. And they they take a guy who some project uh, as, as making a move inside the guard, but obviously he played tackle. Uh, what do you think about the pick? Yeah, this one was an interesting pick. Um, you know, coming into the draft, um, out, uh, 
you know, expected them to address the uh, interior um, offensive line kind of first and then kind of get to the tackle, um, you know, if they could. Um, you definitely want a guy that can wear a couple different hats. And I was looking at it more from, a, you know, a guard center perspective. Um, but they went in a different direction with, uh, you know, uh, a college tackle who I think could stick at tackle, but can also, you know, kick inside the guard and, and give them something there too. Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it kind of sounded like he was going to start off at guard, but then, you know, they made another selection at guard and then, you know, they, you know, made a sign in today, which we'll get to. Um, but I, I think he's got some interesting traits uh, either way. I mean, he's obviously a massive, massive guy. Um, and he's very physical, but I, I think his movement skills kind of jumped out to me. Like you said, I don't really understand how he wasn't on our radar because he was a you know left tackle in the SEC, and you know you posted some of those clips. We saw some of the you know battles he had, and he more than um, held his own. But you know, I, I think more than anything, like I was trying to study him and really trying to get you know. Um, you know, uh, a, a handle on what he was as a player, but I kept thinking about him as a guard. And then I just start, started thinking about, man, what if they just like played him at right guard and pulled him? Can you imagine this big dude coming at you with a full head of steam? Like, yeah, I'm making a business decision. There's no way in the world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, he's a, he's one of those guys, like you see the Ravens, especially on offensive line, you've seen them, um, kind of take some chances on a guy with traits and this de- guy definitely has traits but I think he's got some more substance to his play like I, I there's a definite floor with his play but he has some traits there that, that make you feel like he has a ceiling there too so I, I think it was a, a, a quality pick um, I think um, he's a guy that could give you insurance at right tackle uh, for Orlando Brown Jr. down the line if they can't afford to keep him um, but he's also a guy that can maybe, you know, kick inside and 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 play that guard position. So he he was a um, very interesting pick to me, a you know, quality looking player. Yeah, I was I was watching that Auburn game, and you know, if you can hold your own against Derrick Brown, Marlon Davidson, um, you know that 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 speaks volumes about your ability. And um, his movement skills stood out to me too because he's a big guy. And, you know, they pulled him, uh, not a ton, but they did. And when they did it, these were long pulls. He wasn't just pulling like one or two gaps. He was pulling from like left tackle all the way around outside of right tackle. Um, and so, you you know, you don't ask a guy to do that unless you, you think he can move in that way and he's capable of doing it. And, and he did that. And so it's interesting, uh, before I turn it over to you, Chris, and get your thoughts, you know, it really kind of reminds me of the Coleccio simile pick going back to 2012 coming out of Ohio State. KO played tackle at Ohio State. They bumped him inside the guard. KO was a massive man, I think 6'5", over 330 pounds. Phillips is listed as 6'5", 331 pounds, 35-inch arms. I just, you know, maybe he'll stay at tackle, like Kerry said. Maybe he'll stick there, but it it just almost like the Ray Rice, J.K. Dobbins thing. I'm seeing the KO, (laughs) Tyree Phillips thing here. What are your thoughts about Phillips, Chris? Uh, well, I, I hope you're right with that, too, because, I mean, we saw what, what KO turned into. And, and you know, those dimensions are, are the same. And, and that's something that I looked up 
uh, before the draft. I just wanted to see, you know, just draft tendencies of the kind of uh, dimensions that they like to draft at certain positions. And that's the one that stuck out to me, too, because they were the most similar. And uh, with Phillips, like you guys hit on, he's a big guy, but he he has, you know, pretty good feet. And I think that comes from because he's a relatively young football player, like when it comes to football years. Because he didn't, he only played one year of high school football, and he was a basketball player. So I think that's where the football, I mean, where the, the footwork comes from. Uh, he he was known as a, a guy who could actually, a big guy who could dribble. So you know, you got to have that hand-eye coordination if you know you're dribbling the ball up and down the court, and you're you know one of these huge six-four, six-five guys. So I think that's where that footwork comes from. And um, I know he played down at you know EMCC. Uh, for those of you that know the the um, last chance you from the the Netflix show, and and when I heard that I was like, oh man, I hope this guy isn't a knucklehead, but he isn't. It was just that he only played that one year of high school of high school ball, so he didn't get many offers. So that's when he you know took the community college route, and uh, he was actually a three time SEC academic All American. So that just shows you that. The Ravens, they're not they're still not taking any knuckleheads. They want to take smart guys that are, you know, hard workers and, and, you know, willing to come in and and do the work that they have to do and not not mess up this synergy that they have going on with this special ride on the, you know, the Lamar train, so to speak. Yeah. And you you talked about this when when we did some background on Phillips and found out that he was at um, uh, at the last chance you university Uh, DaCosta. You know, exploring all pipelines, including Netflix. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, we'll talk about some of the UDFAs uh, later. And uh, there's another guy who also went to Last Change U, uh, who who they signed uh, reportedly has signed as a UDFA. So uh, the man leaves no stone uh, unturned. And uh, you know, who knows? You know, maybe he'll he'll be he'll be bringing guys in from other countries, which they've done. Actually, I can't even say what they've done that already through the the player pathways program, Jermaine yeah. Illuminor and some of the other guys. <laughs> so they've done that. Christopher Azalea, I think, was a fullback uh, who they had, who's who who was from Europe. So they've already done that. Um, You've reached the end of part one of this draft recap episode that we did. Uh, we went even longer than we normally do on this one. So we decided to break this episode up into a part one and a part two. Uh, so much to talk about and unpack with the draft. Uh, so in part two, you'll hear a discussion on the rest of the draft selections. We'll talk about the signing with DJ Fluker, and we'll also hit on a couple of guys in the undrafted free agent class. So uh, tune in for that one.